0: Hello, all you happy innovators. How are you doing today? Are you doing well? This all saints day, the day after Halloween. You know, I want to say really quick before I continue on with this podcast that I'm particularly happy today. Okay. Why you ask? Because As it turns out, like I mentioned in the last podcast, the Boston Red Sox were in the World Series, okay. and as of today, the Boston Red Sox have won the World Series, they are the world champions of baseball, and you know, this is the fourth time that the Boston Red Sox have won the World Series in the past 20 years, but I will say this. Okay, Uh, that was not always the case. And there was this legend that had been looming over the Boston Red Sox for about 100 years um, called the Curse of the Bambino. And, you know, assuming that you probably don't know what I'm talking about or that you're not even from America and you have no interest in American baseball. okay, which is highly possible. the curse of the Bambino was associated with the Red Sox in regards to something with Babe Ruth, who was a famous baseball player. I think the story goes like this, that he was playing for the Boston Red Sox and they either traded him or they, they let him go. They cut him from the team, this legendary baseball player. And it's purported, I think, that Babe Ruth cursed the Boston Red Sox saying that they would never win a championship, okay? And, uh, well, you know, as it turned out, that seemed to kind of like be what played out, all right, over the past 100 years. There was a long drought of uh, world championship status that was denied the Boston Red Sox for various reasons over the years. Just they just never seem to make it. But finally, about maybe 10 or 15 years ago, maybe a little bit more, um, the Boston Red Sox finally won the World Series and subsequently broke the Curse of the Bambino, which is really an interesting thing to think about, at least to me. OK, it's fun. It's entertaining. And the sport of baseball, really, the sport of American baseball is really it's really kind of a fascinating kind of chess match between the pitcher and the, the batter. You know, that's really what it's about is two guys versus each other. And, you know, it, I understand how sports for many people are not really that interesting okay but for a lot of people they are and i can say honestly for baseball when you consider that maybe only five percent of the human population on the planet can hit a major league pitch from a major league pitcher okay actually connect with the ball with the bat okay only five percent some statistic like that. Okay? It's rather intriguing to think about that, you know, someone can be throwing a ball at another person, you know, upwards of 100 miles per hour, okay, which is amazing, but that this person on the other end can actually connect with that pitch and with a baseball bat, you know? Uh, really... Interesting when you think about it that way, at least it is to me. So that's where I'll leave that. Yay, Boston Red Sox, world champions for the fourth time. The curse of the Bambino is definitely broken. Okay, now on with this podcast and on with this topic that I want to talk about today because this is one of those topics that I've thought about a lot over the past year or so, maybe the past couple years. And it always seems to kind of slip my memory. You know, I forget about it. And when I was trying to think of what to talk about today, bam, this one came right back into my synapse, you know, right into my cerebral cortex, you know, and, uh, oh yeah, that's, that's something I want to talk about. It's kind of a weird theory that I have. And it's something I've been working out for quite some time. And I figured I would share it with you guys because it's just so damn weird, okay? um, That you might actually find it entertaining, at least mildly entertaining. Uh, So, what I'm getting at here is this idea that I have. Like, I was watching this documentary on this painter named Francis Bacon, okay? And I was relatively familiar with Francis Bacon's artwork, you know, before I watched this documentary, but after watching the documentary, I kind of got this thought in my head and I started to kind of chase it down and pursue it. Um, and I'll get back to that in a minute. Okay. But really, if I were to tell the story of what I'm talking about today, I have to go back even further. Okay. To a movie that I found, Uh, It's research-based and philosophy-based. It's called Grasping for the Wind, and it's hosted by this man named John Whitehead, who is a lawyer, I believe. Um, He's a public speaker, kind of like a public um, figure, and uh, he put together this film called Grasping for the Wind, Humanity's Search for Meaning and it's just a documentary about the history of like art and culture and how it's had its effect or maybe more like how it's reflected uh in history and and the effect it had on culture and what it means and man's search for meaning okay Uh, a fascinating film. It was like one of those things I watched and it was a game changer for me. If you want to watch it, I'm pretty sure it's available on YouTube for free now. Um, And again, it's called Grasping for the Wind, Humanity's Search for Meaning. And uh, like I said, this film was a game changer for me. It was kind of like taking me by the hand and walking me through a lot of the things that I had seen or heard over the course of my lifetime but I had never really connected any of the dots like uh, things were said to me or I had seen uh, pictures or had arguments with people about certain things and I wasn't quite sure how it was all connected until I watched this film. And I realized that, wow, you know, since I was a younger person, I'm talking much younger, you know, I I was being kind of fed uh, a lot of information that I didn't quite understand because it had never really been explained to me, okay? And this film kind of changed me in the sense that I started to look at art and music and things like that, the things I participate in, okay? um, In a much more sophisticated way, all right? Uh, A lot less arbitrary and a lot more focused and maybe even concerted, okay? And I've mentioned this before, I guess, a little bit in my Singularity podcast, uh, Custody of the Senses. You know, a lot of that podcast reflects many of the conclusions I've been coming to uh, since I watched this film, Grasping for the Wind. And I I found it maybe like 10 years ago or maybe about 15 years ago, right around the time the Boston Red Sox were breaking the curse of the Bambino, uh, I found this film. Now, back to Francis Bacon, okay, having explained to you this grasping for the wind thing and how it kind of, you know, clicked my mind into a different mode, um, I guess for the sake of this podcast, I'll go right ahead and bust out my handy dandy new Oxford American Dictionary. And I will read you the definition of Francis Bacon. That is Francis Bacon the painter, not to be confused with Francis Bacon the philosopher. Francis Bacon, born 1909, he died in 1992, was an Irish painter. His work chiefly depicts human figures in grotesquely distorted postures, their features blurred or erased. Francis Bacon, the painter. Irish died not too long ago, 1992. Okay, so I'm watching this documentary on Francis Bacon, the painter from Ireland. And you know, I've gone to art museums before. Like I said, I was uh, already familiar with Francis Bacon's artwork, but I just kind of had this idea all right that when we look at a painting okay we see it like um for what it is okay uh it's on a wall or something you look at it you discern what it is you're looking at you make a judgment about it or whatever and then you move on you know to the next painting okay um And that's usually about as far as it goes, I think, for most people, right? It's uh, practical distinctions, you know, uh, about what you like and what you don't. Now, I don't know about you. Okay. But I've always kind of wondered about art critics. Okay. Like what qualifies someone to criticize someone's paintings, let's say for the sake of conversation, what qualifies them to know more about a painting? Okay. than perhaps the painter themselves. Okay. Which seems odd, doesn't it? Cause it does to me. Okay. And I've always wondered about it. Um, and I also kind of wonder why it is that certain painters, or sculptors or whatever tend to pop. You know, they, they come into the popular culture and they become famous, while there's other artists who remain obscure and, you know, unknown and maybe sometimes even forgotten. But I guess we can mention in this discussion here that, you know, we have to keep in mind somebody like Vincent van Gogh, who was not popular, famous, or particularly liked as a painter while he was alive. Um, And fortunately for us as a culture, you know, he kept painting anyway because lo and behold, a hundred years later or whatever, there's suddenly this group of people who see the genius of his paintings and now they're worth a fortune. You can't even buy one because they're not for sale. They're priceless, you know? Um, so bearing that in mind, you know, uh, one could argue that maybe with art critics, okay. Um, or any kind of critics on any kind of topic, uh, they're not necessarily correct. Okay. It's an opinion or whatever. Right. But for one reason or another, these critics or these these benefactors of these artists that have become famous, you know, they decided who was going to be famous. And I always kind of wondered what was the criteria that they would use to make that kind of judgment? Like, in other words, what makes somebody like Francis Bacon palatable to an audience, as opposed to, you know, some other unknown obscure artist. Okay. Um, Because certainly there are a lot of very, very talented painters that no one is ever going to hear about. Okay. So why does somebody like Francis Bacon emerge as a famous painter? Now, this is where you got to kind of just kind of go along for the ride with me here. Okay. Now, I have this theory about this. Okay. Like I said before, we look at a painting, your average Joe, your average person, we look at a painting, we assess it, whatever, you know, move on to the next one. But for some people, okay, um, maybe it has something to do with their education or whatever but I doubt it, okay? I think it's something more than that. They have the ability, these certain people, have the ability to look at a painting, okay? And understand that it's an image that functions on many levels, uh, you know, including the practical ones that we've already talked about, like for the average Joe to look at and get something from, okay? But maybe, okay, maybe there's an even higher level, okay, now you already know my opinion about this stuff that, you know, I feel, okay, that there is a spiritual connection between art and the artist, okay, inspiration and the artist, uh, the muse and the artist, okay, we've talked about this before. Now just bear with me here. Okay. Maybe when these special people, okay, who decide who becomes famous or who emerges into the zeitgeist as an artist. Okay. When they look at a painting, they see it as something that is unlocking something in the human brain. Okay. It's a combination of shapes and colors and angles and size and shading and light and all these things that are combined into an image. Okay. Uh, that like a combination on a lock, okay. Unlocks a part of the human brain. Okay. Um, do you follow me? It's a little weird. Okay. It's a little weird. But I just kind of wonder if that's the case. Having known, you know, a handful of artists and critics and, you know, being a painter myself and a musician. Okay. I have to pause for a moment and just ask that question. Like, is that possible? You know, like we look at the Mona Lisa and we see a painting of a woman with a weird smirk on her face and it's a famous painting. Okay. Right? Probably the most famous painting ever. But maybe, okay, maybe on another level, when we look at that painting subconsciously, maybe, or somewhere in our brain, somewhere in our psyche, that particular image with those particular colors in that particular form unlocks a certain part of the human brain. Now, we don't really value it as much or notice it as much because it's been hundreds of years since the Mona Lisa was painted. So whatever was unlocked in the human brain when that painting was made and displayed for people to see, you know, that change that that painting brought about in the human brain happened a long time ago. So we're the result of that, you know, we're like, we're way detached from the time of when the Mona Lisa was painted. However, there are artists and painters who have emerged in the recent past. Okay. That are still alive and still painting even. Okay. And maybe just maybe, you know, the reason that these artists like Basquiat and uh, Andy Warhol and, uh, you know, Pablo Picasso, these people emerged as famous artists because, yes, the artwork they made was challenging, you know, on some level, okay, socially or something, those kinds of things, okay, Matisse and Monet, you know, these guys that were challenging the The way painting was being done or perceived at the time, okay? But I would posit to this discussion, okay, that what if, yes, Picasso's paintings work on a certain level when you look at them and you don't know anything about art, you just look at it and you go, oh, pretty blue colors, you know, or whatever, right? But maybe. without you even knowing it. Okay. When you look at that image with those colors, those shapes presented in that precise form. Okay. It unlocks something in the human brain that we don't even detect. We don't even know that it's happening, but it is, it's a consciousness thing or something, you know, um, and maybe like that's why certain artists emerge, even though their paintings may not seem to be very technically sophisticated. OK, we don't understand why they were selected to be famous. You know, like uh, somebody like Mondrian, he was famous for uh, linear of painting like these uh, you know precise angles and squares and basic shapes you know they weren't fantastic works of art but maybe just maybe when you look at that painting yes you see it for what it is but at the same time on some level in our brains a change takes place just like a combination on a lock or um, I don't know if you remember there was a movie called Hellraiser uh, an older movie now Jeez Louise it's so old I can't even believe it but um, they had a box in that movie and it was just like a cube but when you touched it a certain way the box would open and turn and go into a different configuration okay that's kinda like what I imagine These paintings may be like for the human brain. That by looking at specific images, the human brain will open up and turn and click into another mode. Okay? And that may or may not explain why. You know, from time to time, you'll see artists who don't seem to be particularly talented. Okay? uh, becoming famous. Now, I guess I should make it clear to you, okay, that I'm not saying that I feel that Francis Bacon, okay. Uh, is not a talented painter. Okay. I believe that Francis Bacon was a very technically proficient painter. Okay. But personally, I don't like a lot of his paintings, not because they're poorly executed. Okay. Just because when I look at them, they're depressing, you know, they're horrifying and unpleasant to look at. And when you hear the story of this guy, you know, you realize when you just scratch just below the surface in this guy's life, you know, Francis Bacon, the Irish painter, the very famous Irish painter, was a friggin' mess, you know? I mean, this guy was... Man, they say never speak ill of the dead, but man, he's probably like a really horrible character to hang around, at least it seems that way, you know? And his paintings reflect that, you know? They're miserable, you know? Um, You know, I've heard it said from a relatively wise person that, you know, we wear on the outside, what we are on the inside. And I guess, you know, when you look at the body of work from any said artist, okay, you'll see that that's probably true. You know, a lot of what we create is a reflection of what's happening inside of us right? For better or for worse. Okay. Um, and you can make of that whatever you want. You can listen to my music. You can look at my images that I create or our videos or whatever, and come to your own conclusions about even me. Okay. But, um, I think there's some value in thinking the way that I'm talking here, you know? Um, You know, that art and music and those things function on several levels at one time. You know, and to each person, that experience may be different. But maybe, okay, maybe there are some people who are more sensitive to it. Okay. And those are the critics, those are the people who rise in the art of. criticism, you know, of art, that they have some special gift, you know, to look at the work of an unknown artist and see something in the painting. That's, for lack of a better word, supernatural. They see a something attached to that painting. And they know That it's something that should be advanced into the public eye. Now I could be wrong. I could be way off, you know, but this isn't a podcast that is concerned with being way off. I mean, it's about exploring ideas, coming up with ideas and seeing how they play out, seeing how they work once they've been digested by you, you know, or even myself, just listening to myself talk and thinking about it again, you know, because that's what happens when I'm explaining this kind of stuff to you. I'm really just kind of thinking out loud. I'm reprocessing it as I'm talking to you, you know, it's just something to think about. And it's something that I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. But like I said, it's just something that kept slipping my memory, you know, and uh, but food for thought, you know, looking at artwork from this point forward, you know, maybe go through some kind of book or museum or something, right? And maybe the next time you do that, maybe you'll have what I'm talking about here today in the back of your mind, you know, just kind of think about it. Why do some artists become famous and some artists don't, regardless of their technical abilities? And who are these critics that are the gatekeepers that allow uh, artists to become famous? You know? Hmm. Maybe there is some supernatural level to assessing a piece of artwork. Maybe there's only a handful of people on the planet, kind of like that 5% that can actually hit, you know, connect with a major league fastball going 100 miles per hour. Maybe, okay, there's about 5% of the population on the planet who can look at a painting from an unknown artist and adjudicate that painting has something to it and it needs to come forward. Maybe, maybe. So with that, I'm going to sign off for now. And uh, remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy. Actually, okay, hang on, hang on. I want to clarify something. All right. Um, With that last episode I released, I got a question from one of my listeners. Okay. Regarding my sign off, you know, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Right. Uh, He wanted to know what that meant. And I thought about it and I was like, you know, I guess I never really explained it before. Maybe I should. Okay. Um, So for the sake of this listener who is a very faithful and loyal listener to the singularity podcast his name is Stu i've talked about him before very talented musician anyway so this is for you Stu all right now in truthfulness okay um the saying uh if you want to keep what you've got you've got to give it away is not my original idea okay um and (laughs) when i decided to start saying it okay with the very first like podcast i did um it was really on a whim okay it was like you know not something that i thought about so much but it was something that resonated with me and i heard it i got it from Uh, actually James Hetfield from Metallica he did an interview for guitar centers about this guitar this signature James Hetfield guitar uh, that he was putting out on the market and uh, it was an advertisement for this guitar but in the process of this interview they were doing with him advertising his new guitar he made that comment that if you want to keep what you've got you've got to give it away and I thought you know That's kind of a cool thing to say, you know, especially if you're a creative commons artist, (laughs) like me, right? If you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Um, And that is really kind of like, in a lot of ways, the essence of creative commons licensing, which is what I'm a proponent of. And I own, you know, a creative commons record label, Pipe Choir Records. And uh, creative commons is a form of licensing that allows people to listen to uh, music and use music in films and things like that, creative projects, without the fear of retribution or getting sued by me for using my music. You're allowed to use all of my music for free, as long as you attribute me as the artist. Now, if you don't attribute me as an artist, that's where you can get into trouble. Okay. But for the most part, it's really a non-issue, you know, and if you're an artist and musician yourself, and you're willing to go out on a limb, I would recommend any day of the week becoming a Creative Commons artist, because I promise you, okay. Once you dip your toe in that water of the creative commons licensing, it will change your life forever. Okay. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But, um, so this guy asked me, you know, what does it mean? This, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. And what I take it as is I, should be freely giving away, okay, what I was given for free. Okay, so I look at it this way. I sit down to write a song or a piece of music or something. Um, I never took any lessons, you know, it doesn't cost me anything to sit down and make a piece of music for people to listen to and enjoy. All right. Um. So I shouldn't necessarily charge them in order to be able to access or hear my music. Now, obviously, you know, I'm not a wealthy man and I'm open to donations and there are many people who are really generous that way. Okay, so I'm not making nothing. I mean, honestly, the idea of people being able to use my music for free has actually helped me to sell more records than all of the bands I've ever been in combined. Okay. I, I am satisfied with the number of unit sales and royalties I collect. Okay. Uh, could I use more money? Of course, but I don't necessarily want it. Okay. It's not what motivates what I'm doing. And I look at what I'm doing as a form of stewardship, uh, you know, using a gift I have to benefit many people. Now, I know what you're thinking, okay? That sounds really pretentious, right? Like, oh, I just want to make music and make people happy. Okay. Well, it is true. Okay. I mean, that is true, but I can. Okay. Cite several examples of times when my music was used to benefit people for, believe it or not, things like, uh, sleep therapy. You know, uh, I know for a fact that my music is being used in school classrooms for autistic children, you know, who, uh, for some reason or another, for some reason. The sound of my music, the tempo and a lot of the effects I use, the white noise I use, the sound of ocean waves and those kinds of things, it really benefits these young kids for some reason. I don't know why, but I do know for a fact that when I release a piece of music, there's a certain portion of my audience that is literally taking my music into a clinical setting and using it that way in a therapeutic way, and if you ask me, that's reason enough to just keep going anyway. So it's never been about money, and therefore, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. If I want to keep doing this, if I want to be able to do this continually, let that flow continue from... The ether into my brain out of my fingers and into your ears if i want that circle to keep going okay i have to let people have it for free it costs me nothing to attain it it costs me nothing to create it or to do it so why shouldn't i give it away for free why not right so with that I will end this podcast by saying, remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, okay, if you want to keep what you've got, you have to give it away, share it freely with everyone, right? Take it easy.